Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Amazon Prime Video UK, the home of the US Open in the UK. That US Open, David Law, who joins me remotely from Solihull. I myself, Catherine Whitaker, am on my sofa in Putney. Uh, that US Open, David, is mere weeks away now and that is still terrifying me to my very core. But I'm also very excited about it. The US Open series is, well, it's underway today. As we record, it is Monday the something of July, the 30th of July. Uh, the US Open series, well, I, can't, I guess it kind of started last week. We're in that weird section of the season. There are a couple of them. We've talked about it a little bit on tennis podcasts past, David, about how there are these in-betweeny little patches of the season that don't quite fit into the overall narrative uh, of the tennis season, either on the men's or the women's tours. We've had, you know, events in Atlanta, in Newport on grass, in Atlanta on hard courts. We've also this week got kitchball happening on clay. We had Hamburg last week happening on clay. It's all... There are plenty of great events in there. I know you in particular, David, are a big fan of UMAG and we, we will bring you the, the results and the talking points from all of these in due course. But just as a sort of overall starting point, it's a weird mishmash portion of the season, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think that's a good way of putting it, mishmash, because of the surface differential and obviously the fact that they're played both sides of the Atlantic and... Um, and it is this weird, slightly out of kilter little series of clay court tournaments in particular that, that, that stand out. And, and the, the thing is, they are great tournaments, some of those. You mentioned Umag. I mean, that's close to my heart because I met my wife there. But I also worked at that tournament 20 years ago. Uh, the tournament in Gestad in Switzerland is absolutely stunning. And it's where Roger Federer made his professional debut. And, and it's, it's up in the mountains. And people who've told me that the, the, the one in Sweden, in Borstad, which which uh, Fabio Fanini won the other week is 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 amazing. I never got to go to the that. The Swedish it always... Riviera, David, is what they call uh, exactly. The I yeah. mean, that and, used and to there get... are dogs everywhere. 
Really? I don't know, yeah, that's that? the main thing people tell me about Bastard. Um, I don't know. It's this sort of lovely little seaside resort in Sweden where there are dogs everywhere. Dogs are allowed yeah. everywhere and they come to the tennis and everything. So it's, that's on my tennis bucket list. And then you've got Newport, which is kind of, it's it's a tournament on grass after Wimbledon, which does seem a little strange on paper, but, but it's it's... Sounds like it's a lovely tournament, and and they also do the the induction for a couple of nominees for the International Tennis Hall of Fame every year, which this time has been Helena Sukova and Michael Stick, and that's a really nice event. So it's all lovely. It's just that people like us, and I think anybody who works in tennis, we are all we're all kind of toast after after the run that 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 has gone on um, leading up to the French Open and Wimbledon. So we we probably don't take as much notice of it as as perhaps we might normally because yeah we're we're on sofas like you are i think it's just quite hard for the anything more than the really nerdy tennis fan to engage with because like if you look at it as sort of three levels of tennis fan nerdy nerdy tennis fan following it week in week out may or not may or may not be recording podcasts about the tennis that happens week in week out and then you've got the the pretty into tennis tennis fan that will follow the 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 masters 1000s and and the bigger 500s probably and certainly will get in will get more into events when they fit into to a story arc for example the the tournament the US Open series i i i, I think that works as in sort of storytelling terms the build up to the US Open i think you know that does for the for the medium level tennis fan put a bit of extra emphasis on them obviously the same applies to the the clay court events in in the lead up to the French Open etc etc uh, but then you've got the tier one tennis fan that, that really like tennis but I reckon they must just look at this time of year and go don't know what's going on there so I'm just gonna phase it out and uh yeah not I don't quite under I mean it's it's great that there's an extra grass court event in Newport Royal Island why on earth is it after Wimbledon yeah, I mean, it, 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 and actually, given the, the the standard of those tournaments that I mentioned, Umag, Borstad, Stad, also Kitzbühel, you mentioned that's one. I mean, these tournaments have been going on for decades. It's not like they've they're newfangled events that have just been slotted in after after Wimbledon and before the the hard court season. It it just again we we had this in our listeners questions one yes last week and we've been asking all week uh, if you were tennis commissioner what would you do why you one thing you would want to do is reorganise things so you could pick up that little cluster of events and stick them in the run up to to the French Open because it they 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 are worthy of that. Yeah, speaking of tennis commissioner, by the way, we've had an almighty response to that, not just from Rosie, who got really into it. Um, Didn't she? <laughs> she really did. She, she's actually been doing photo shoots before actually <laughs> she, passing any sort has. of... She's not even applied yet and she's doing photo she's shoots. She's had a very photogenic weekend with the help of some fillet steak. Um, yeah, we, we had some really cracking replies and um, we'll be touching upon that later in the podcast. But first of all, as promised, um, to bring you up to date with results and happenings, actual tennis, balls being struck that's happened in the last couple of weeks since we brought you a live podcast on the last day of Wimbledon. In fact, I didn't bring you a live podcast on the last day of Wimbledon, did I? You did, David. No. Yeah. Well, Charlie and myself. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Um, Charlie's going to be back next week when I have a holiday. Charlie awesome. is going to be back. Um, so, as I mentioned, ATP Newport, Rhode Island uh, took place on grass. Steve Johnson won his second title of the season, both of them in the States. He but. Bu- 
beat Ram Kumar Ramanathan in the final. David, you got any facts about Ramanathan other than the fact that I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong? I can tell you it was Steve Johnson's second title of the season and he also won Houston because <laughs> student math. Because you've, you've got the same set of notes that I have. <laughs> I, I say student math. I mean grad math. Has, uh, basically, uh, listeners, uh, we, we've we've put Matt in charge of organising us this week and that's why social media has been so rampant and that's why um, so many it's, good it's talking It's going to sound like a really organised podcast and it's all down to Grad Matt, yeah. But unfortunately, Grad done, Matt did not provide us with an entire biography of Ram Kumar Ramanathan. No, so sort your life out, Matt. Not <laughs> yeah, good enough. Not, not good enough. Uh, in Bastard, the lovely Swedish Riviera tournament with dogs, Fabio Fanini beat Richard Gasquet in the final. It was also his second title of the season, David. We are facts centric um, <laughs> because he's he's also now up to number twelve in the ATP race to London. How about that? Yeah. How about that? How about Fanini to make it to London? What odds would you give me on that just now? I know that would be good. I know you don't really understand odds, so whenever no. I ask you for odds, it never goes anywhere. If ever he's going to do it, it's this year because because it's a weird year. There is a lot of movement, and the thing it, with Fanini, he's he is capable of doing it on any surface. We remember this is a guy who beat Rafael Nadal from two sets to love down at the U.S. Open. If he could just keep his head sort of straight. For, for a couple of months. It's not impossible. Yeah, he then uh, trekked on to Gustad and lost uh, first round to Jürgen Zopp. Um, of course he so, did. So mixed fortunes for Fabio Fanini. Plus ça change. Uh, in Umag, David, the scene of um, your meeting your wife many years ago, uh, Marco Ceginato beat uh, Guido Pella. In the final. It's not, it's not actually possible to say Marco Giaganato without not. saying it like that, is it? It's not. No, no, no. Just, which, is, which is why I did find it. Find yourself yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah there it is. Uh, so that's also his second title of the season, David. You and know, he also won the Hungarian Open. He How also about won that? the Hungarian Open in Budapest. Plucks that uh, one and Chekinato, David, is up to 22 in the rankings that's significant now he's not a flash in the pan completely random reacher of a grand slam semi-final he's the world number 22 he's going to be seeded at the u.s open he's yeah he's a well, thing 10 in the race to london i mean that is you know that backing it up you're quite right that good on him for doing that and speaking of trends he lost his opening match then uh, the next week in hamburg to gail morfis did you lose your next match after beating me? <laughs> well, I don't recall, but almost certainly yes. Right. Uh, the rematch imminent, by the way. Uh, possibly. Possibly. Surprise, Various surprise, listeners. David is pushing for it. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been having a bit of practice lately. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hopeful. What can I say? Uh, in Bucharest, David, the capital of Romania, Anastasia Savastova beat Petra Martic in the final. That was her WTA, third WTA title of her career. Banished memories of losing love and love to Simona Halep in the 2016 final. Now, that's that's a good fact that Max plucked out there because yeah, we, I wouldn't should, have remembered that. But as soon as he reminded me... Get, let's just get Grad Matt to read out his own sheet because <laughs> that's what we're doing. Well, like, I would love to... I could just smoothly pretend that I'm plucking all this myself, but uh, I had forgotten about that love and love defeat. Imagine, David, losing love and love in a final. 
I, I just, God, I mean, that's, that is harsh. it's just awful. Absolutely I mean, I awful. I want to know what happened when Severstover, and this isn't in the sheet, by the way, Matt. Uh, <laughs> I want to know what happened when Severstover played Halep next. I mean, you know, imagine what you'd be going through your mind facing a player that you've lost six love, six love to. Have you ever lost six love, six love to anybody? Uh, possibly to my brother possibly yeah i've i've twice lost i actually ran into um almost literally when i was going on a little morning run at wimbledon i i I came across this spanish journalist called miguel luengo who is miguel david i feel like we've been over the pronunciation of miguel more than once on past podcasts why did we do that last time i can't remember miguel seabra who was telling us about portuguese tennis yeah. Anyway, it's all it's all journalists. Anyway, this one, this this particular Miguel uh, is, and I'm not exaggerating. He is half my size. He comes up <laughs> to my belly button, and he beat me on clay in Estoril. We played three sets. I think I won one game in three sets, and uh, and I've also lost six love, six love to um, Carlos Bernardes, the umpire. Well, um, both of those, not, David, sound like thoroughly unedifying experiences for you. They were. They didn't look great. On paper or in or reality. in reality, no. uh, Ingolstadt. Or, or thinking David, about them after the event either, which anyway. which is another um, event that um, makes this year in my mind even more of a mishmash because it sounds so similar to Bustad, which is the Swedish Riviera men's event. Borstad. No, Catherine. but I th- but I've heard it Bustad. Well, you've heard wrong from the wrong sources. So Borstad, but there's no B O R. There's no O in there. Or is there R. an R in banana? No, there isn't. You know, I'm sorry. Mm, okay. That's what it is, okay? You, you're absolutely certain. Let us know at Tennis Podcast. Are, um, are we getting this right or wrong? Right, okay, okay. Well, anyway, the the, the, the Swiss one is definitely Stard. In fact, I think it's a sort of silent G. Yes, that, that, I think that's correct. And there this is, one's there is in, actually, it's in the Swiss ha- mountains, isn't it? And as far as I know, yes. there, are, there are no dogs. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Well, that's where there are cows, aren't there, and Swiss horns that are given to Roger Federer every ten minutes. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, I, we, we've got a Swiss, we've got a Swedish listener, Rebecca Hjorth. Remember her from the the yes. ATP Communications Mag- yes. Manager, who used former, to work at the tournament in Borstad. So she can tell us. There we are. Okay. All right. I, I'm. I'm. I, I desperately want to be corrected because I want the pronunciations of those tournaments to be more different so that i can more easily separate them in my mind Fine. uh so the wta event won by elise Cornet. she beat uh, mandy Minella in the final who was one of the um the pregnancy childbirth comeback um players and so wta tour which is a bit of a, a storyline of 2018 and the atp event was won by um title debutant matteo berrettini who beat oh, Roberto Bautista? I've, I don't yes. think I've ever seen him play. Hit me with all of your Matteo Berrettini facts now, David. Oh, dear, dear. Uh, I, he'd never reached an ATP World Tour quarterfinal before, and he didn't drop serve once the whole week. He also won the doubles tournament. Yeah, I mean, what? What? I suppose it is in it is in these slightly out of the spotlight periods of the season when you do get these lovely little stories isn't it well i agree i I agree and actually these people can do you know the first time i ever saw stan Vavrinka was playing in the final of the the tournament in gestad 
Um, oh, interesting. He, he lost, it was, I think it was 2005, four of, five, 2005, and he lost in the final to Gaston Gaudio, I believe. Um, but, you know, you, what, what stood out was the, just the thundercrack of the backhand, and because it was one of those tournaments played in the Alps, it seemed to echo where, when he hit the ball. Um, but it took him it took him some years to go from that sort of swashbuckling type player that you thought wow that's that's a force of nature to to being anybody that you would consider had got a a sort of consistent future at the top speaking of Vavrinka David no wild card for him into Toronto he's going to have to qualify in Toronto is that, is that confirmed wow I, I that, believe oh. so yeah I, I, that's uh, I don't know whether they've weird, got any it? remaining that they I, I've read quite a lot of Stuff saying he's going to have to qualify in Toronto. M- Murray's got one, hasn't he? Murray is. So Murray has has been given one for Washington, Toronto, and Cincinnati. So he's set for his U.S. Open uh, lead up. However many matches that may involve, we'll find and out. He, that is starts, on our, that is on our grad mat prepared agenda. By the yeah, way, don't worry. We will be talking McKenzie about McDonald, Murray. McKenzie McDonald, isn't he? McKenzie McDonald. Yes, Mackenzie McDonald, a fourth rounder at, at Wimbledon from absolutely nowhere, whose match against Milos Raonic I covered for Five Live, and it wasn't a career highlight for me, David. It wasn't. Right. <laughs> it wasn't the best sort of seventeen hours of my life, or. I think it was only about four, but it felt like 17. Anyway. Well, I think it was over two days, wasn't it? So no, it was, it, no, it was just the one day. Just a really, really long day. Uh, right. And just to mop up other results, David, in Hamburg, Nikolaus Basilashvili uh, beat Leo Meyer in the final to win his first ever uh, career singles title in Atlanta. Um, John Isner reached the final for the eighth time in his career. John Isner has got Atlanta on lockdown uh, and he beat Ryan Harrison in the final. Harrison, incidentally, who had beaten uh, Britain's Cameron Norrie in the semi-final. So big yeah, week for so- Cameron Norrie. Some good, some good results all around there because a great week for Cameron Norrie, incidentally beating Kyrgios along the way who had to retire mid-match with a hip injury. And got um, booed. Booed off court. He? Yeah, he was booed. Yeah, it's uh, not I, I great, that's is That's not serious because, I mean, that's, that's an injury that's kept him out for months in the past. And remember um, lot at this exact period last year, David, on the hard courts, I think he had three consecutive retirements in events. Mm, yeah, it's so depressing. It's, it's all, it's really, it is. It's really, ah, uh, yeah. Ryan Harrison, incidentally, who is in a beat in the final, I think he won four four matches from a set down. Um, and then, he, then, lo and behold, he goes a set up against John Isner and doesn't win. Um, so, moral of this tale, Ryan, keep losing the first set. <laughs> always works for me. Um, uh, there are others, aren't there, that do. Heather Watson is one that I think always does well from a set down for some reason um and two other uh our final two tour level event results to bring you up to date on further evidence for me uh as as if this point needed hammering home even more geographically of what a mismatch this uh part of a season is we've had a wta event in moscow where olga danilovic beat anastasia potapova uh, in the final, Potapova was a really good junior, wasn't she? I believe, she, didn't she? Was she the one that beat? She definitely won junior Grand Slam tournaments. Yes, I thought definitely. she got to a Wimbledon final, but yes. I, I can't I can't be sure of that. Well, she's still uh, only 17. So um, what, what I can be sure of is that both players are 17 and both 
uh, I think it's the way it says here, the first ever WTA final contested between two players born since the turn of the new millennium. We've got stats, we've got facts, we've got results, we've got scores. We are, yeah. Next week we'll just publish the document and not not bother chatting. Uh, And finally, David, uh, Nanchang in China. Tell me everything you know about the city of Nanchang. Other than yep, that, it, it's there. in China. There's your silence. Um, uh, where uh, Kiang Wang, yes, coached and, by Peter McNamara. That is my knowledge of Kiang Wang. Uh, she beat Zheng Sai Sai. Sai Sai, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also the Binghamton Challenger where Jay Clark won the title. Two, yeah. two hours, 56 minutes. He's what a win. completed the rite of passage for young British tennis playing men of winning the Binghamton Challenger because Andy Murray won it. 2005, Kyle Edmund won it 2015, and Cam Norrie won it last year. Yeah, last year. Correct. Yeah. That is the one bit of tennis I've seen over the last week or so live. Um, Tell me about it. First of all, how did you watch it? Uh, a stream. Thank you to Mike Cation, the uh, the, the uh, commentator who does all the challenger events uh, on the USTA circuit, who, who who tweeted the link. And it's actually it's pretty cool, really, that you get you can just watch all these matches and tournaments being streamed live. And I mean, I have to say the uh, the, the the trophy ceremony is quite quite comical um, <laughs> compared to what we sort of used to on on the regular tour. And I'm not I'm not I don't want to diss them. They they put on a great event and it's a real sort of community feel. Um, but it's just it, nobody worries too much about how it looks or how it sounds. They just they just make a, a fuss of the winner and let him say a few words. And but watching the match itself or watching the conclusion to the match, I was really impressed with Jay Clark over these last two or three matches. I mean, he beat some some decent players. He he beat Marcel Grun- Noyes in the in the previous round, I think it was, who's been a top twenty player. Jordan Thompson in the final in a, a nearly three hour match, you know. And I have to say, when Clark had break points for three two in the third set and didn't take them, I really thought, well, the typical story here is plucky young British player doesn't end up winning. Um, and and Clark, well, he 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 said no to that. And uh, and and I mean, good for him. That's that's a really good result. Yeah, he's ranked 175. He's he's obviously not going to get direct entry into the US Open, but he will be in qualifying. And you know, if he's following Cam Norrie's trajectory of last year, after we, winning Binghamton, Cam Norrie went went on to qualify and win his first ever Grand Slam match, didn't he? So yes, and coached by Esteban Caril, who yes. coached uh, Johanna Conta, who who yeah. just clearly has in a Gijon. really good way about him. Yeah, um, and I don't know, I, I don't. It's difficult to judge how good Clark is going to be because I've only seen him play against ATP level players on grass, and I don't feel as though that is a fair enough assessment against how you'll do on other surfaces because Cam Norrie, I don't think he's ever probably going to be that good on grass and yet he looks really good on clay and he looks perfectly good enough on hard court. So all I can say is Clark looks like a real athlete and he's obviously got a decent attitude because you don't win these tournaments without. On the subject of the Challenger Tour, David, that brings us nicely on to one of the announcements that uh, the ATP have made this week to completely revamp uh, the Challenger Tour. Their their mission statement is, quote, uh, to enhance the player pathway and improve visibility of tennis at lower levels, uh, which sounds a little bit sort of um, difficult to decode, certainly the player pathway thing. But I think I know what they're 
they're saying. Um, basically, main draw sizes will increase from a standardised 32 to 48. So there'll be an annual increase of roughly 2,400 places in challenger level tournaments, uh, which will also mean a roughly $1 million prize money boost throughout the year. Um, it's going to be compulsory for challenger level events to provide accommodation for all main draw players, things like that. And also the improved on-site conditions, better medical services, more physios, more practice courts. Those are a big deal for players playing challenger tours. You know, for a lot of them, that'll be the difference between them being able to, to, to go and, and compete and try and get ranking points one week and and them not being able to do that. The, these might sound like sort of luxuries around the edges but they're really not this is you know this is this is hand-to-mouth stuff a lot of the time on the you know there are there are bigger and 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 lesser challenger events you know you'll occasionally get these funky weeks where you get really big names entering challenges but by and large this is you know this is gritty life on the nether nether (laughs) never never in um in tennis terms, isn't it? So, um, yeah, these are all for for the players involved. This is all pretty big deal stuff. the The tournament lengths will be standardised. They'll all run Monday to Sunday, including qualifying, uh, to make it easier for players to plan their schedules in advance and avoid overlaps. Um, and tournaments will be categorised in accordance with the number of points on offer to the champion, as is currently on case with the ATP World Tour. E.g., you know, with World Tour, you have 1,500-250. So with challenges, it'll be, uh, I think, 125 will be the top and 70 uh, the lowest. Yeah, which is and, a good idea. Uh, absolutely great idea. Um, the one caveat to all of this is part of the reason that they're doing it is um, from 2020, the Futures Tour, which is the tour below the challenger level tour which offers ATP ranking points currently it's sort of a slightly weird situation where it's operated by the AT- by the ITF uh, but they but offers ATP ranking points please see previous week's discussion on the bizarre administrative structure of tennis uh, the futures tour will no longer offer ATP ranking points from 2020 so professional tennis essentially is going to start at challenger level and they want to hugely cut down the number of professional players which currently is 14,000 and they want to get it down to about 1,500 so 750 men 750 women so that's I mean, that's cut, orders of magnitude. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're saying take out ninety percent of the of the people who class themselves as professionals. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, that's sort of I, that's redundancy. <laughs> that's yes, that's it, making ninety percent of people redundant. But but these people are not making a living. No, um, really. I mean, I I know there will be people out there. There will be players who who play their those levels that that aren't happy about this, and there are players that will say that their sheer love of the game means that they will keep wanting to slog it out at that level, etc. Maybe maybe this is unfair, but but I I do tend to look at the the, the challenger level and above. Generally speaking, I, I I think I like the changes overall. I just want to be sure that there is a clear enough passage for those that are able to well that the players can get from juniors to challenger level and from seriously injured back to challenge level and that sort of thing that those are the i don't think there is much to be gained for anybody really just slogging around playing itf events forever no and i'd, I'd love to know you know how many players are there that are, have sort of existed for an entire career 
just playing futures level? How how what is the longest anyone stuck at? Has anyone sort of endured the entire you know up to the age, let's say sort of thirty three is an average retirement age at futures level without ever making the leap leap up? I mean, how that how would they make ends meet? Is it's difficult to know. I mean, there are other things. There are sort of various league tennis uh, structures in different countries, and obviously they can get private funding, and some people are just independently wealthy and so forth. Um, but generally speaking, that to me is not professional tennis. So, um, making the challenger level tournaments have needed a boost for a long time. So, hopefully, this will be for the good. I wonder if if the um, if the revisions would potentially encourage more players who have been out for a long time with injury to play a few challenger level events here and there dotted into their schedule rather than taking I mean obviously they'll still take wild cards into big events I mean Nishikori did it didn't he quite recently yeah earlier this year he played a few challenger level events I could see Andy Murray doing it I'm in favor of it generally and I I think playing qualifying is a good thing a lot of the time I've spoken to players um, quite recently about it and and the benefits so yeah I don't famously um Andre Agassi did it, didn't he? I mean, he dropped down almost entirely to challenger level for, yeah. for a Goran good period. Yeah, Goran Ivanisevic did it too. And, yeah. and uh, I always remember him talking about saying, they don't even give you balls. <laughs> well, now, Goran, they're going to give you accommodation. Uh, they're going to give you physios. What else are they going to give you? Practice courts and better medical services. And I've seen Goran serve in the past year, and I reckon he could, you know, win the odd match. Something to consider, Goran, anyway. I bet you, if he's listening to this, which he's definitely not, he, he's going to go running. He's been waiting for the opportunity you, to get back on tour. I, I think he might be listening. Hi, Goran. <laughs> anyway. Oh, we flatter ourselves. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Moving on to our next pre-prepared talking point, um, which is, well, two, two, um, two Novak Djokovic, two Novak Djokovic related talking points. One of which I find more, one, one of which is just nice, which is Djokovic's, it's an open letter he's written, um, talking very frankly, um, about how the last couple of years have been for him, um, exactly what the challenges he feels that he's faced over the last couple of years, how vulnerable, that's his word, uh, he's felt um, over the last couple of years. He says he's still vulnerable and he's not ashamed of it. He said um, he was being, wasn't being patient with his tennis expectations, wasn't wise in strategizing um, and wasn't clearly hearing his body telling him that there was something serious happening with his elbow. Uh, he said, I was trying to find solutions somewhere else and the solution was always inside of me. Um, after many changes with training, racket, team members, etc., etc., I didn't know if I'd be able to get back on the desired level of tennis. Actually, one part of me always believed in my own qualities and capabilities, but there was a lot of doubtful moments um, where the course of action could have gone different ways. Ways, uh, And then he talks about the sensation of, of having uh, his son... Uh, with him in, at the trophy ceremony in the in the in, in the players' box at Wimbledon, and how wonderful that was. And he signs off by saying, "I love you, I love tennis, I love life, Novak." And that brings on that brings us on nicely to to separate comments that Marion Vida, his longtime coach that he split up with for a year or so, and then got back together with, made to um, a Slovakian news agency Denik Sport um, which were publicised on Twitter via Sasha Osmo who's a, a Serbian journalist he spoke very frankly I think this is the first time anyone's done this there were rumours that that Boris Becker was unhappy unhappy with the influence that um, now famous Pepe Imaz the peace and love coach that Djokovic has had by his side for much of the last couple of years there were rumours that Becker wasn't happy um with his presence and the team, the influence he was having, but nobody's really spoken out about it. Well, Marion Vider has done now, and he said he didn't think Pepe Imaz's influence was a good thing for Djokovic's tennis. He said he wanted the collaboration to stop, which it does now seem to have. Um, he said it wasn't his number one condition, but he did want to talk to Novak about it in person. He said tennis can't be based on philosophy. It's a sport, man versus man. I would add brackets, woman versus woman. Um, if you want to be the best, you do that by repetitions in practice, by matches and by strong mentality. When you see an opponent, you have to focus on where to send the ball, not to think about Buddha, which is an excellent quote, uh, which really solidified in my mind just what an excellent human being Marion Vider is. Also in that interview, something he touched upon was the... And I think it's something that Djokovic is hinting at here in his open statement. The the changes that Djokovic made to to his diet. Uh, uh, Marion Vider said that he had moved to an entirely plant based diet. Um, and although sort of uh, some of the the dietary adjustments and so on that that Djokovic has made were a good thing, I, I believe. The, the feeling was that it had gone far too extreme and, and Marion Vida has encouraged him to bring some 
some protein and, and some meat back into back into his diet so I find that really refreshing that he's spoken so openly about that and obviously yeah he's he's my new favorite person David <laughs> <laughs> well I mean a couple of a couple of the immediate takeaways for me the the one that I don't think you mentioned it specifically in the intro to, to Djokovic's open letter is the one about motivation where Djokovic very clearly says what my other big issue was motivation and a lot of people around at the time when Djokovic was struggling and a lot of his fans was when when we were saying that he looks as though he's he's lost his sort of get up and go for the sport um, a lot of people saying where well, it's just injury. Now, obviously, injury was a big was a big part of it, and I sometimes think there are other people who just gloss over the fact that he was injured when they talk about his come down. It was a, co- a combination. I think there was more to it as well, personally. Um, and and I think he's he's slightly alluding to that in some of the words that that one day he'll 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 tell the story. But the the fact is that that motivation did take a dive after he won that French Open because well what else is there what else is there to achieve um when you've when you've basically won it all in the space of a year and Pat Cash said said to us a couple of weeks ago it's the greatest tennis year in his opinion there's ever been uh, for 12 months that him winning four in a row Marion Vida he just calls it as he sees it and again Pepe Imaz we all threw a bit of scorn and and um on on his influence and impact let's and, be honest david and, i threw a lot of scorn on yeah well on yeah and, but, I, and but i don't think you were alone and and i think and and at the same time whereas you had I'm, you had the peace and love t-shirt didn't you david well you know uh i, I think I'm, one thing i'm always wary of is just being so strident about something that hasn't played out yet because sometimes you can be wrong and and i i i, I knew what i felt i felt it was utter nonsense with the way this the guy was part of the team but I thought well look it's Novak Djokovic he must know what he's doing you know you, that's kind of how I ended up thinking about it is surely he knows what he's doing well he didn't know what he was doing and he's admitting it now he got it wrong and uh, Marin Vider has just uh, magnificently um, just destroyed every notion that it was a good idea in the first place. Uh, Serena Williams David has been um not playing tennis this week, but she has. Oh, she's playing in San Jose, though, this week, isn't she? Interesting. Her pre-US Open period could be very interesting indeed. As it stands at the moment, it looks like she's going to play San Jose, Montreal and Cincinnati, which is about the most tennis <laughs> Serena Williams has played in a solid three-week period since about 1997. Yeah, and I would say uh, she opens up incidentally against Johanna Contra. I think that's tomorrow night as we record on a, on a on a Monday afternoon. But actually, I think it's about right now. Yeah, um, I think it's great, but it, it is. She interesting. needs to become a serious tennis player again if she if she wants to get to where I think she wants to, which is the very top and winning multiple slams again. I, I don't think she's looking at twenty five slams. I mean, you mentioned the chat you've had in the past with Patrick Moratoglu about how that number is not the ceiling for them. Uh, why, why should it be? This is this woman. We saw it at Wimbledon. She's good enough to get back to the very top. But she, the, one of the reasons Angelique Kerber beat her so handily is because she was match tough. I mean, look how many matches Kerber's played this year. Aside from playing very, very well, she's played 50, 60 matches. Serena's played about eight or ten. Well, and also, and, sorry, David, sorry. No, just to say, I think now is the time that if she's if she's going to get back to that level, she just needs repetition. Yeah, and also, and further evidence of that, she doesn't even need to look across across the net. I mean, look 
how bet- much better a player she was in match seven at Wimbledon to match one. I mean, she mm, improved true. improved almost immeasurably with every single match. And had she had, you know, another two weeks worth of matches, um, been on match 14 by the time she played Kerber, she certainly would have tested her more in, in my mind whether she would have won or not is a different story. But yeah, I mean, she has all the evidence she needs that at the moment it's all about playing tennis matches. So I'm really, I'm so happy to see her in the draw in San Jose. And I'm sure San Jose are quite happy about that too. Johanna Conta, David, not happy. No. <laughs> Bit of a bummer, isn't it? <laughs> but who knows? Maybe it's an mean, absolute actually... bummer. First, that, I mean, for sure, that'll be the first time they've played since um, Australian Open last year, of course, when so, we yeah. now know Serena was pregnant. Yes, yeah. And, and I mean, it was when Conta was at the, the height of her power. She really. was one of the favourites. Lots of people saying if it weren't for the fact that she was drawn to face Serena in, in round four, um, she, you know, a lot of people would have been picking her for the title. Yeah, she got a real surprise there. And I think that that was a, one of Serena Williams' best performances. Mm. It was one of those where she's saying, right, you're the new kid on the block, are you? Right, come on then. So away from the tennis court, David, Serena Williams has, she's been doing some social media for a change. I don't know if you've noticed, but tennis players are quite into social media. Seems to be the case. Um, So she's picking up on a thing. This isn't new. She's talked about this before. She talked about it at at Wimbledon, her frustration with the frequency of her drug testing relative to other players. She said on Twitter this week, and it's that time of the day to get, in quotation marks, randomly drug tested and only test Serena. Out of the players, it's been proven I'm the one getting tested the most. Discrimination? I think so. At least I'll be keeping the sport clean. Hashtag stay positive. And then in a subsequent tweet, she said, but I am ready to do whatever it takes to have a clean sport, so bring it on. I'm excited. (laughs) Which sounds like someone texted me and said, Serena, um, I get your point and everything and you're welcome to it, but maybe just take the edge off the take the edge off it a bit and say you're excited mm. about the drug testing um so there's there's a lot to this david and we can't possibly as much as i would there's a part of me that would sort of quite like to i've got things to do later and we can't possibly get into every single facet of uh of drug testing in in tennis um oh you know i've got a, I've got a lot of you know hanging out on the sofa to do um but we will get into a few pertinent bits. Uh, it's a it's a messy old situation with uh, drug testing. The whole debate was originally sparked by an article um, in Deadspin last June or this June that reported that Serena was drug tested by the US anti-doping agency USADA more frequently in the first half of 2018 than other American tennis players. Um, The problem with that article, though, is that that's not the whole picture because at any one time... And bear with me here. Just take a deep breath. We'll we'll get through this <laughs> as quickly as you can. At any one time, an athlete is, sub- athlete is subject to testing by three different organisations. The International Federation of the Sport, so the ITF, the anti-doping agency of the country. So in Serena's case, that's USADA and the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA. So it is true that Serena was tested more between January and June this year by USADA than any of her country women she was tested five times in that period um and venus williams and coco van der Wey were only tested twice uh sloan stevens madison keys tested just once um and 
the, all five of the top-ranked American male players also tested less frequently than Serena. But um, those numbers don't account for in-competition or out-of-competition tests administered by WADA or by the ITF. Um, and the latter, the ITF testing, accounts for more than three-quarters of all testing of elite play- tennis players. That's according to Stuart Miller, the manager of the ITF's anti-doping programme. Um, so the ITF only publishes its data at the end of the year. So we're not going to know until the end of this year whether the USADA figures match up with ITF figures. Um, so um, Matt suggests um, that for a more complete comparison, as complete a comparison as we can hope for with this <laughs> dog's dinner of a, a situation, um, we can look at the past five years from 2013 to 2016 which we do have data for now Serena in that period was tested an almost identical number of times as her American peers as well as top players like Federer Nadal and Wozniacki in 2017 she was tested less but she was on maternity maternity leave for for most of that year Um, so some questions to ask why has Serena been tested more by USADA Uh, than her peers. One explanation might be that she spent much of the first half of of this year, which is the period that that we're we're talking about, or or Serena, um, uh, or the the, the data that was published in Deadspin uh, that that prompted Serena to speak out about it in the first place. Um, She was at home in the United States for most of that period, um, which means that she would have had more out-of-competition USADA testing than players who were on tour outside of the country for that time, uh, because when players are out of the country, uh, it would be the ITF overseeing the out-of-competition tests. And a second explanation um, is that USADA have what they call an intelligent out-of-competition testing programme, which is that they openly test players more who have sustained success in their sport. And um, I'm editorialising a bit here, but I rather suspect that's because in large part of what happened to them with, with Lance Armstrong. You know, USADA were the organisation most heavily involved in in the Lance Armstrong is scandal. It was a USADA report, I believe, that that provided sort of the final nail in his coffin and ended up in, in him coming clean. And, and um, yeah, why wouldn't their their policy be shaped by what was, you know, the most earth-shattering doping-related incident in the history of sport? So, so yeah, I, 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 I can understand that. But, um, certainly, I, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, over to you, David, what do you think? My feelings are, I just think there needs to be more testing full stop. I just think, I just think doping controls in tennis need to be better. I'm not, you know, if, if that means testing some players more than others and, you know, whatever, I'm fine with that. Just do whatever you need to do for us to have the strongest possible doping controls that we can. Well, absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, in, 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 on, in response to that one, I, I think that Serena has, f- feels to me, fired off some irritation on social media here without referring to all those other those other factors that you've you've outlined in in terms of how the system works and and the three-part um way of testing tennis players in and out of competition and in terms of jurisdictions and territories etc um because when you actually go down into the numbers that there have been some revealed over on twitter about yes she has 
tested more um, than some of those compatriots. Um, in fact, all of those compatriots in one way. But when you actually look at the, the numbers across the board, um, Tamani Cariol, who's uh, one of the, the journalists on the tour, listed the numbers of times tennis players, US tennis players, have been tested over the years. And Serena Williams is at 41. John Isner is at 42. Venus Williams at 43. Mike Bryan at 43. And Bob Bryan at 56. So he's way, way more. What he's been doing, I do not know. To I love the idea of the dope testers showing up and going, no, we only want Mike. <laughs> Bob, Bob, Bob. No, we only want Bob. Bob. Off you no, go, Sorry, Bob. Mike. We're not interested in you Mike's today. Mike's the one that looks suspicious here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think, to be honest, it... it I, I, I get why players get irritated by it. I, I can understand why Serena Williams, particularly having been out of the game for quite a while and just probably not having thought about it much because her mind is understandably completely elsewhere. Um, and then it suddenly starts happening a lot. It probably does feel a bit like victimization. But that's a, that's a bit of an irresponsible thing to tweet, in my opinion, if 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 it's not factually absolutely sound. Because... Those are very, very strong emotive words she's used. And um, I'd like to think that she would... And I have so much respect for her, her and the way she's spoken on so many issues over the last few years. But but I, I'm a bit concerned about that because that... People listen to every word she says and, and, and follow and listen and, and, and hang on every word she says. And, and I'm not convinced that, 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 that that's fair in this case. Yeah, I mean, look, if it was six o'clock in the morning and a drug tester was showing up at my door and asking to draw some of my blood, I'd be blooming irritated as well, David. I'd be an absolute nightmare. Um, but that I wouldn't expect, you know, the wider tennis world to be particularly sympathetic with me. Um, for me, the, the most pertinent, for all the, the stats on Serena, the far more pertinent stat is that tennis players get tested significantly less than a lot of other elite level athletes in other sports. Tennis testing isn't at the level of other sports. Um, and stats on that, for me, is where we should be looking rather than stats on whether Serena is tested more or less than than Bob and Mike Bryan. Mm. Um, uh, and, so, and all, yeah, uh, it's not that I'm not sort of vaguely sympathetic with her personal irritation. I just don't think that's of consequence to to the wider world, really. No, and and, and probably as much as I love aggro, uh, probably best off staying <laughs> off social media if you're if you're angry. Just... Yeah, it's that awkward thing if that's when you most want to take to social media, isn't it? When you're feeling aggro, and that's when you should probably not mm. um just a few more bits and bobs david before we wrap up for another week before you bob off on holiday for yeah. goodness knows how long get, yeah. get my gaming gear um so i'm going to rinse the, rinse the most david law for <laughs> as i get oh i forgot I, i'm back next week i did forget i've got one more podcast I were. yes i, I have and then i'm I off have on to holiday. say when you said that i thought hang on a second I, i'm being stood up in advance yeah because I'm, I'm still ang- angling for our rematch next week if i can yeah so we've got one more week of law right sorry um, about that everybody. before the good times roll and then... but still i'll rinse as much law as i can just for the moment okay. um 
pick up on, on some of the responses we had to the talking points from last week's show, beautifully curated by, by Melanie Bowes, who, by the way, David, can I mention that I am currently leading Melanie Bowes in the predictions challenge? Can you, can you mention or have you just mentioned? Well, it's happened, hasn't it? Yeah, just accidentally <laughs> So unless you intervene out. and ask that to be edited out, which I, I don't think would be a dignified move. Editor Patrick, um, can that go? <laughs> um, yeah, anyway... Um, some pole vaults, David, seem to have happened. I, Nothing I've, to do with me. You know, in fact, quite a lot of pole vaults seem to be happening. Amazing. As a result of last week. So, um, I've taught him will well. Carl Edmund win a slam? 80% said no. Um, and then on to the commissioner of tennis stuff, which is where things really ramped up, not only among us mere mortals, David, but the likes of Paul Anacone, Marty Fish, and Andy Roddick. Got involved. They all want. They yes. all want to be tennis the commissioner. Roddick. Hashtag. Yeah, yeah. They saw Rosie muscling in on the territory. <laughs> um, so here are some suggestions. And uh, the current voting situation as of ten a.m. this morning: sixty-nine percent think there should be a shot clock in tennis. Fifty-eight percent think women should play play best of five sets at slams. Seventy-one percent think fifth set tie break should be introduced. Seventy-four percent think there should be no on-court coaching. Sixty-six percent think players should have to pick up their own towels. I can't believe that's not 100%. Um, I can't believe 34% of people think it's acceptable for, for grown adults to toss their sweaty towel in the direction of a child and expect them to pick it up. Like, what is the universe we're living in? 66% of people think the Davis Cup reform proposal should be ditched and the competition competition left as it is. 75% think the off-season should be extended. Nine, 91% think there should be a Masters 1000 on grass. 57% disagree with the idea of best of three first week, best of five second week at slams. I'm disappointed with that number, that's, David. How about you? That's the most interesting result of all of them, because all of the others have gone... Not the towel one. The way I would have expected. 34% of people well, think... Well, I mean, that, I, I must say, when, when, when I was thinking about that, I, I was thinking, actually, I, I wouldn't mind having... I might get my kids to start. Yeah, there's plenty of things that I would quite like that I definitely should not be ever allowed to do. It'd be good. Like throwing my sweaty towel in the direction of a 13 year old and expecting them to just pick it up for me. Well, I I am surprised that 57% disagreed with the idea of best of three first week, best of five second week. I'm surprised by that. 909 votes as well. We will do a better selling job on that, David. Right. We're still we're still Mark working on it. We're, we're going to win yeah. people over. We, we need to get some big names behind us, don't right. we? Who? We need to get some prominent backers okay. for the idea. Okay. Mary was up for it, wasn't she? Yeah, she was up for it. 57% of people are disagreeing with Mary Carrillo. Oh Shame on you. Yeah. Um, on the subject of quirky head-to-head records, um, Student Matt has, has done us an absolute solid here. And uh, What's that mean done again? what I couldn't done what I couldn't do on the spot, which is pick out some of the most beautifully weird head to head records in tennis. And um, my favourite one amongst current players is Thomas Burdick twelve wins to Kevin Anderson's zero. Yeah. What's happening there? That is weird because they are so similar. <laughs> yeah. I'd have thought that would be in six each. <laughs> yeah. What uh, like what that's so weird. Um, Sybil Bammer is uh, 2-0 against Serena Williams. Uh, Martina Vratileva was 33-1 and against Zena Garrison. And that ain't changing. Uh, sorry. And that, that's no, not no exactly. Yeah, these are not current head-to-heads. <laughs> uh, Joe Jury, 4-3 over Steffi Goff. That one definitely ain't changing because Joe Jury is currently 
recovering from a knee replacement. Get well, Joe. Um, Stefan Edberg, 10-0 against Thomas Muster, including 4-0 on clay. That one's pretty special. Yeah, I love that. I, to- I, Stefan Edberg, 4-0 on clay. Yeah, over I always remember Muster. that. Thomas just, he could not stand playing him. He just hated it. <laughs> this bloke um, kept coming in every shot. <laughs> Richard Gasquet, eight and zero against Gilles Seymour. I will put that one down to Frenchness because I think all of the French players among themselves have weird head to heads, weird score lines, weird matches. There's something weird going on there. Um, Monica Sellers twenty and one against Conchita Martinez and Svetlana Peronkova, the Hungarian grass court specialist, is three and one against Venus Williams. Bulgarian, Bulgarian, but uh, Bulgarian. Sorry, yes, slightly more, sorry. slightly more recent though. Venus Williams, isn't it? So I, I think that that one's. Is it? She hang on. She beat her once at Wimbledon. Yeah, I know. I, I still um, feel that that a while ago when it was Venus Williams' peak. I think mm. certainly one of those wins was peak Venus. Mm. Hey, she's not that far off her peak. No, she's just coming into her prime. Weird head heads, love Maybe. them. 1-0, Catherine Whittaker. That's yeah, we do weird. love them. We do love them. Um, do we have time for any other business, David, or need it wait? I think I, th- I think it needs, I think it needs to wait for law. next week because we need to have stuff to talk about then. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Well, tennis is happening this week, David. Andy Murray is coming back to hardcore tennis yeah. in Washington. As you said, he's drawn Mackenzie McDonald. This is as unscientific as it gets, but, David, on the basis of the increased frequency of his social media activity i think he's feeling a heck of a lot more bullish yes, about his tennis than he you. was even even three weeks ago i, I definitely when, or agree four yeah. weeks ago when he pulled out of wimbledon i think his whole mind state is completely different mm, no i'd agree with you uh, when he's when he's active on instagram i think he's he's active of mind and body and and feeling chipper generally so absolutely right tennis podcast aways can we talk about that Podcast, so as we can, just after I mention the fact that Dominic Team is playing on clay in Kitchbull this week, and I'll just let that hang in the air. Why is that, why um, is that tennis news? Podcast. <laughs> I know, I just, I just, ugh. he's going to lose first round at the US Open again, isn't he's he? He's disproved uh, us, though, because he reached the final of the French yeah, Open, so. Maybe. Yeah, but he wasn't playing on grass, like, three weeks before the French Open, was he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, tennis podcast today, David. Yes, this is a bit of business which cannot possibly wait until next week because we have a winner, our competition uh, to win a holiday at La Manga Club uh, for two people has closed. And the, well, David, myself and student Matt selected the shortlist. Uh, we selected two entries apiece for the shortlist. And there were dozens. And the and, and there were dozens. There really were dozens. We were blown away, honestly. There was there were dozens from individuals. You know, <laughs> I was some so people impressed. entered. Some people entered many, many times. I love um, it. And Mister Pat Cash was good enough to choose his winner from that shortlist, and he chose Chris and Olivia Savory. Um, he chose that was it on finals day at Wimbledon that he did that. That was the real final. Mm. It was. Um, and they uh, had a picture of themselves. They were wearing um, Tennis Podcast merch, weren't they? They were. Um, but they were holding a little baby grow, as small a baby grow as you can imagine, because the baby that will be in that baby grow is not yet in the world. Um, because they they were announcing to us, David, that Olivia is pregnant and that baby will be a Tennis Podcast listener from the womb. 
Awesome. Which is which is quite a thought. Beat that. Um, so Chris and Olivia will be having a lovely holiday uh, at La Manga Club. Uh, and we have two runners-up as well. One is uh, Luke Mays, who God loves a trier, Luke, and you... Goodness me, you put your heart and soul into Tennis Podcast Aways and we applaud that. He had his photo taken wearing Tennis Podcast merchandise alongside the likes of Bartley, Davenport, Watson and Brody. I should have done that in the opposite order, shouldn't I? Built up to Bartley. (laughs) Still a good effort though, wasn't it? (laughs) Uh, And our other runner-up who will also also be receiving... um, a free item of Tennis Podcast merchandise is Ada Pesch, who had a photo of herself listening to a tennis podcast in the Zurich Opera House. So, is that legal? You know, that, very, that's one of the reasons she yeah, didn't cult, We're cultural, David. We're classy. <laughs> uh, incidentally, Luke deserves to get a T-shirt because he was wearing his long sleeve sweatshirt in 36 degrees <laughs> for oh, every photo. Oh, God, so. yeah. It was black as well. Oh, <laughs> Good work, Luke. me. Yeah, we need to start producing um, tennis podcast um, baseball caps, I think, if we're going to continue having heat waves in this country. Yeah, well, we're not, so we won't. Anyway, thank you everyone that entered. Thank you, La Manga Club, um, for providing the, tr- the prize. And um, we hope that Chris and Olivia have a quite wonderful holiday um, and um, a wonderful and happy life together with their new family. And um, yeah, get that baby listening to the tennis podcast. ASAP. <laughs> Get indoctrinating. Um, so, yes, that we do have other business, David, but it's going to wait. It it's is. going to be a cliffhanger yeah. until next week. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff to come. Um, and we will be back next week. Um, you and I, David, we'll, we will be in the flesh, I believe. In the flesh. Yes. Maybe the Putney Hello? Exchange. Maybe even at the Putney Exchange, yes. How wonderful that will be. Um, yes, we've been the tennis podcast. I, I thought Skype had cut out for a moment there, but, you know, you just had nothing to say just to pondering. my ramblings. What can I say? I was, You're just pondering. That, that was, um, takes me a while been, sometimes. We have been the tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph with Amazon Prime Video UK, for whom I will be presenting coverage of the US Open exclusively in the UK and Ireland. If you want to watch the final Grand Slam of this tennis season, season. and I think if you're listening to the tennis podcast, you probably do want to watch the last Grand Slam of the tennis probably. season. Um, you can only do so in the UK and Ireland on Amazon Prime Video. So make sure you are subscribed. Um, and uh, yeah, I will see you then. And uh, what, what else have we got, David? I'm a bit out of practice. Melanie We've got Bowes. our executive producers. Melanie Bowes, Tennis Balls and Triple S. And uh, Charlie the Ferret. And we'll speak to you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
the secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. 